Good afternoon and welcome to the How to Train Your Wagon podcast, the podcast that takes three generations of travelers around the world. Today's destination is Berlin, the vibrant and diverse capital of Germany. We'll be speaking to what it's like to spend a week in Berlin and its environs, as well as some really inspiring day trips. And in this episode, I used to live down the road from an old retirement center. So I'd see these elderly people being wheeled in their wheelchairs by their younger sons and daughters. And I would think, wow, what has that person seen in their lifetime? They would have grown up playing in the rubble of World War II. They would have seen the Berlin Wall go up and the Berlin Wall come down and the rebuilding of the city. It's an extraordinary century to have lived in, in Berlin. And I felt that responsibility quite strongly, that I wasn't just talking about big moments in time. I'm joined today by Pamela Yuckerman and Penn Hessman of Private Tours. First, welcome to Pam and Penn. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. And I'm also joined today by my mother-in-law, Karen Welcome. Great. First, tell this audience why Berlin is such a compelling destination, what there is to see there, and paint a picture for our audience as to why we should be inspired to, to travel to Berlin. I think in one way, Berlin was a bit of an undiscovered jewel of Europe for a while, because many of us, particularly over 40s, can remember the Berlin Wall coming down. Berlin was a little bit of a mess in the early 90s, and then it got discovered by backpackers, really, first of all, as a sort of cheap and funky destination as it rebuilt itself. And then they went home and told their parents how cool it was. And then their parents became interested. But it was really only about, I'd say, 10 years ago that it really took off as an international destination. And the amount of times I've had people say to me, I wish I'd booked more time in Berlin. They saw it as a fly-through destination and didn't really realize how much there was really to explore. And I think for me, one of the things that makes Berlin really special is that we each kind of have a connection to Berlin in its own way because each country can be rightfully proud of their history and each place can be proud of what they have there. There are many beautiful places in the world, but Berlin's reach has gone way beyond Berlin. It's affected all of us. If you think of some of the, the major events of the 20th century, World War One. Uh, World War II, the Cold War, these things have quite literally created the world that we live in today. And many of us have real connections with that, whether we had ancestors that fought in the war or like me, I remember the fall of the Berlin Wall and things like that. So it's very immediate. It has a very recent history that we very much relate to and completely rebuilt itself in the last 20 years. So it's, it's a very vibrant and buzzing city because it's it's quite literally rebuilt itself brick by brick. I agree 100% with Penn, for example. I'm, I'm originally from South America. And when you think about the Cold War and everything that that meant, also in South America with all dictatorships and fighting communism, it's a straight relation with Berlin. So yeah, I think everyone, doesn't matter where in the Western world grew up, there is some kind of relation with Berlin. And I've been living in Berlin almost 20 years. And of course, when I moved here, it was exactly a very funky alternative city. And we've seen the changes today. It's really one of the big capitals in Europe, a city that has changed a lot, that has a lot of history, but at the same time, is a city that is very much alive. I think that if we look for one word to describe Berlin, it would be change. People can come here two years later, they come again and they're, they're always going to discover something new. With Ben, we're always discovering new things, always 
having to look for new information. There's always something new, a new museum that opens or closes, a new building. Now we have a new palace. So everything's changing all the time. And that's something beautiful about Berlin. And I think also Berlin has something to offer everybody. Uh, people say Berlin is many cities in one. And in Berlin, you can find everything from absolutely world-class museums through to one of the best philharmonic orchestras in the world. But alternatively, you also have a huge nightclub culture for the young people. You've got alternative art, street art, graffiti. You've got parks. Berlin is one of the greenest cities in Europe. You've got parks and lakes for nature lovers. You've got a plethora of art galleries. You've got amazing food. You've got history on every street corner. So it's really got something to offer everybody, I think. For a first-time audience that may not be familiar with Berlin, and maybe if they were in Berlin, they, they were there when it was two different cities divided by, by the Berlin Wall. Maybe can you give our audience a, a sense of Berlin's layout and, and how it's come together with historical center with East Berlin, with West Berlin? So, yes, as you say, Berlin was quite literally two different cities in one for well over 25 years. And they still talk about the wall in the head. Might have removed the physical wall, but people still divide the city. Pamela and I will still refer to West Berlin and East Berlin, even though technically they don't exist anymore. The historical center is part of old East Berlin. So Mitte, the district, which quite literally means middle, was part of East Berlin, like I said, over 25 years. The changes between the city, there's no real downtown because there's a downtown for East Berlin and a downtown for West Berlin, even now. There's two different commercial districts, two different districts to stay, two different districts with restaurants and cafes. It's very much still got that. And it's in the middle is a massive garden bigger than Monaco called Tiergarten, which quite literally means animal garden because it went way back when hundreds of years ago, it used to be the hunting grounds to the royal family. So... On the one side of the garden, you've got Mitter and the old historic district. And on the other side, you've got the Kurfürstendamm, the major sort of boulevard, if you like, which is a whole upper downtown district, if you like. And bordering on that, you've got the Brandenburg Gate, which of course is the major icon of Berlin as a city, which really symbolizes everything the Germans have gone through since it being built in the 1700s through to the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989. That's the demarcation point, as you like, between the centre of the city, the east and the west. Help our audience get situated here. Oftentimes, travelling with three generations, I think we typically arrive um, in Berlin early in the morning, either through a layover to Frankfurt or perhaps some of the direct flights. And so we, we arrive, let's say, late morning, we're all operating at different speeds. Some of us may prefer a short catnap. Talk to us about that day we land in Berlin, how we get our sea legs, what there might be to do if we're looking to operate at different speeds, knowing we're not going to easily bring all three generations around together to see stuff until perhaps later. In Absolutely. I, I generally recommend against taking any kind of organized tour on your first day of arrival because you also don't know whether your flight's going to be delayed or your luggage gets lost, who knows what's happening. So I generally recommend people take a taxi to their hotel, get settled in, and then the best thing for jet lags to get out in the fresh air, get a bit of sunlight. Berlin has a river going through the middle of it, the River Spree, which you can very easily take a wander along the banks. You can see some of the beautiful new houses of parliament and the old government building along the banks of the river. You can wander through Tiergarten, have a coffee, maybe grab a curry verse. That's Berlin's infamous street food of a sausage covered in, in curried ketchup. So take a kind of easy day, but get out, have a bit of sunshine. 
if you've got young kids traveling with you in East Berlin, particularly, there's uh, playgrounds on every street corner. That's a good way for kids to get a little bit of light anti-jet lag exercise. And then you can head back to the hotel, freshen up and head out. And if it's a really nice sunny day, you can also take a little boat through the spree, through the river, and then get a really beautiful view of all this amazing new buildings, like the whole governmental buildings, the new train station. So that's also, if you don't want to walk too much, you can always take a boat and, and see a little bit of that. Yeah. And they, they go every hour. So it's really no problem to take one of those boats right in the middle of the city. I do have one question. I'm old enough. I remember the building of the Berlin Wall and the destruction of the Berlin Wall. Yeah, I would give every dollar in the bank to be there at that moment when they tore it down. Didn't they save a remnant of it or someplace where people like me could go view part of it where it was in such a part of my history? Absolutely. Yes. So there's three major sections of the Berlin Wall that still exist in Berlin. One of them is right in the heart of Mitter. So it's literally right down the road from Checkpoint Charlie, which is also a really major part of your generation's memories of the Cold War, especially in America. Checkpoint Charlie being the major crossover between East and West Berlin that led to the American sector. There's one piece literally about a block down the road from Checkpoint Charlie. And that in a way for me is the most original, if you like, it's exactly what you would have seen if you turned up in 1990. It's still full of holes where people took sledgehammers to it. Yeah. So it's just there in the middle of the city. And it's actually on top of another really important site, which is why it hasn't been removed. So that's one. There's another, which is the longest piece of the wall, which is known as the East Side Gallery, which is actually the longest open air art gallery in the world. And that's a piece that was uh, preserved literally within a year of the wall coming down and taken custodianship of by a group of artists who commissioned any artist around the world who wanted to come and do a mural on the side of the Berlin Wall with the theme of freedom. So that's the known as the East Side Gallery. And that runs right along the river on the border between Friedrichshain and Kreuzberg. And then the third and the most recent part is up at Bernauerstrasse. And that's the major wall memorial. So that's where there's a huge outdoor exhibit and then also an, an indoor ex exhibition centre, which for those who don't remember the fall of the Berlin Wall or the rise of the Berlin Wall, will talk them through the whole history of the area and that's a massive it goes for blocks and blocks and it's got a lot of open green space as well and various sort of outdoor exhibits where you can wander up the entire kind of neighborhood there so they're the three main pieces of the berlin wall that you can still visit in berlin great yeah it's wonderful to know that okay and i think that's also something that sometimes we forget and i was constantly reminded of in berlin is that these big moments of history they're not abstract they're people's lives. And when you walk around the streets of Berlin and you see, and I used to live down the road from an old retirement centre. So I'd see these elderly people being wheeled in their wheelchairs by their younger sons and daughters. And I would think, wow, what has that person seen in their lifetime? They would have grown up playing in the rubble of World War II. They would have seen the Berlin Wall go up and the Berlin Wall come down and the rebuilding of the city. It's an extraordinary century to have lived in, in Berlin. And I felt that responsibility quite strongly that I wasn't just talking about big moments in time. I was actually talking about these people's lives 
And that's quite a, I find that a very powerful, but also a great responsibility where I'm taking people on tours that they live. This is a trial we happened to go, 1985, we had gone through, visit relatives in Poland and laid over in West Berlin for the night. And I seem to recall that there was a, a Soviet tank that was put up on a perch overlooking those transiting from East to West Berlin. And, and again, of course, living in Amsterdam, we were terrified that Russians would break through, fold the gap. And then the, really in a matter of five years later to have the, the wall come down was really nothing I thought I'd seen it in my life. I don't think many people thought they'd see it in their lifetimes. It was something that had become such a fixture. We all thought it would be up forever. To go from the grand themes, a very practical, persistent theme in, in, in the podcast as we explore food first, because for me, food is, is a highlight of the trip. And similarly, because I, I think it also speaks to some of the things of, of how do you navigate appetites for three generations. We've arrived in Berlin, we've gotten to stretch our sea legs, we've got a good night's sleep, and we get up the next day and we're eager for a Berlin experience for breakfast. Tell me about the breakfast options in Berlin before we embark on a big day. Uh, so breakfast options. There are very many, depending on your palate. Berlin, in some ways, is not Germany in the way New York is not America. It's an incredibly diverse city and there's people there from all over. So you can find all sorts of different types of breakfast from your Eggs Benedict and your smashed avocado on toast right the way through to your quick cup of coffee and your croissants or something like that. Germans tend to only do, traditionally, a big breakfast on weekends. Yeah, then you like the Sunday brunch is a massive tradition in Berlin where you'll, you go to a cafe at nine o'clock in the morning and leave at four o'clock in the afternoon and you pay this sort of one price for this massive revolving buffet kind of thing. Regular weekday, there's everything from small bakeries around every street corner and bread is a real German thing. If you haven't had German bread, Germans around the world will tell you no, nothing beats their bread. It's certainly uh, not light, white and fluffy. It's dark and it's full of goodness and often seeds and things that'll keep you going the whole day. So there's a bakery started several shops called Zeit für Brot, which means time for bread. And they really specialize in all sorts of sort of artisanal type breads and everything from sweet pastries through to your standard rye loaves. And they do excellent coffee as well. So that's, uh, there's several of those around the city. But like I said, there are also just traditional bakeries on every street corner. Is Berlin a coffee town or a tea town? It depends whether you ask Penn or if you ask me. Because <laughs> I find Berlin an absolutely coffee place. Uh, absolutely coffee city. You can find every kind of coffee here. From latte macchiato, cappuccino, flat white. Very good coffees. Very strong, tasteful full of body kind of coffee. But of course, you can also find a lot of tea, right, Pim? I'm a tea drinker. And it was a journey for me to learn how to order tea in Berlin because they're definitely a coffee town. So I definitely agree with that. I'm going to run that. Um, tea, when you just order tea, they don't understand what you want because tea is a generic term. They don't automatically think it means black tea. In fact, it's usually herbal. So uh, then you have to order black tea. Many cafes will only have Earl Grey or Darjeeling. So if you are not an Earl Grey fan, but you want a strong black tea, you have to really be specific about what you want. And then you also have to be very specific ordering milk, because if you just ask for milk, they'll give you milk out of the cappuccino jug. So yeah, it's a... You've got to navigate the ordering of tea in Berlin. You've got to specify what kind of tea you want. And if you want cold milk, you have to specify cold milk with it. So definitely a coffee town, without a doubt. But you can get tea and very good tea. That's good. So we were rested, we're well fed with either our coffee or our tea and juiced up for the day. 
And so I encourage this audience to check out uh, your website at berlinprivatetours.com. You've really gone about creating an interesting variety of, of themes for private tours throughout a, a day or, or perhaps a half day. Why don't you walk our audience through, instead of maybe seeing from the biggest sites down to maybe the, the less prominent sites, maybe you can take some time to walk our audience through the different themes behind your different day trips or, or private tours that you list on your website, berlinprivatetours.com. Like I said, Berlin's really got something for everyone, which is really why we have a large offering really on the website. I always recommend people start with what we call the greatest stories tour, which is the general overview. And that'll really orient you in the city, give you a, a good background to all of those different eras of Berlin's history. It'll point out all of the different things that you're interested in. Because one of the things we always do is we find out people always have very different interests. And so by the end of that tour, oh, your guide's going to be able to give you further recommendations that are really much more based on a personal experience rather than a, a generic set list of sites to go and see. We do offer specialist tours in terms of tours that are on World War II, for example, and that particularly dark time of Berlin's history, Cold War tours, which look more at that modern, or more modern, shall we say, latter half of the 20th century and the rise and the fall of the Berlin Wall, what life was like in East Berlin. Sometimes that's a bit hard for people to really grasp. All the way through to things like graffiti tours, street art tours, what we call alternative Berlin, more of the punk culture, anarchistic culture, nightclub-y culture, that sort of side of the city. We also offer his, like tours of the major museums in Berlin. And there's some of the best antiquities collections in the world and the Pergamon and the new museums. Art gallery tours. Berlin is known for modern art these days. There are lots and lots of art lovers coming into Berlin. So there really is a huge range and all of these tours can be done either walking in a vehicle. We can do bicycle tours. I've arranged private boats for people. Like there's all sorts of planes, trains and automobiles. You, you name it, you can find it in Berlin. In terms of day trips, there are many day trips that are available from Berlin. That's one of the interesting things you can get out of Berlin really quite easily. Yeah, what is great for day tours in Berlin is, first of all, more than a six to eight hour tour would be Sachsenhausen. Sachsenhausen, the old concentration camp, it's about 30 miles away from the center of Berlin. And today it's a memorial and museum. So it's really interesting to go there, especially with teenagers and young people to see that part of history. It's very important. And you can go there with us, of course, either with, with a private car that take you all the way there and then visit the memorial or also by train. You can go by train, it takes a little bit longer, but it's absolutely possible. And inside of this memorial museums, it takes us about three hours and a half. I'm more or less to visit the main sites inside and to talk about the main part of that history. So that's something that you can do on day. Something that is very beautiful, very different, of course, it's Potsdam. Potsdam is a city that is also about 30 miles away from, from Berlin. It's the capital of Brandenburg. Berlin and Brandenburg are two different states. And if you want to imagine it in your head, you got you got to imagine a fried egg. The all the white part of the outside that will be Brandenburg, and Potsdam is the capital of Brandenburg. Potsdam is really beautiful. It's, it has over seventeen palaces. It's surrounded by lakes and parks. And actually, a day tour to Potsdam, it's really beautiful. 
you can get there from Berlin. You can take the train up to Wannsee. That's one of the big lakes that we have here in West Berlin. And then from there, you can take a boat. It takes you about an hour and 20 minutes to get to Potsdam. And then you can do a whole visit of the city of Potsdam with its different palaces. The city itself is also very beautiful. It's a Baroque city. Or you can go there by train or by car as well. So it's also something that's really nice, very beautiful to visit. And with a little bit of time, we can also book tickets to Sansu's Palace, probably the best known palace in, in Potsdam, which was built by Friedrich the Great very special king here in, in the area of Berlin and what used to be Prussia. So that's also very interesting to see. And another possibility is Dresden. Of course, we do, we do think that when you go to Dresden, the best thing is to stay there overnight because Dresden is really another city. It's not that small and it's really interesting. It's a Baroque city. It's just outstanding. A lot of music there. There's a huge music school. So when you walk through the city, there's young people playing music in every corner. So yeah, it's a very beautiful trip, but that is about 300 kilometers away from Berlin. So we took about a little bit over 200 miles. And therefore, if you want to go for the day, we can do it, but it is something that then it becomes a 12 hour tour for, for the day. And it's a pity because Dresden's really the kind of city where you want to stay over. And by the way, I'll encourage this audience to check out today's show notes, work with them in advance to develop materials for this audience's consideration. One thing that really jumped out at me when I looked at your show notes is it's one of those rare cities that, that appears to be a tremendous destination year round. Some places will go and they'll say, don't go here this time of the year. It's just not easy time for tourists, but Looking through your show notes, it's really remarkable to see how much there is to see no matter the season. And so, so maybe talk about when to visit Berlin and, and what some of the highlights are th throughout the year, as, as you mentioned in your show notes. Sure. I would really say from April through to October is the main tourist season, if you like. That's over summer, of course. Um, spring is beautiful. Fall is my favorite season in Berlin, September and October, when the days are still warm, but the the leaves are just starting to turn yellow. One thing to consider if you do come over the month of August, though, from about mid-July through the end of August, is its school holidays. And a lot of the big companies, like the Philharmonic Orchestra, for example, are on break. Yeah? So that is something to consider if you want to take in those kinds of things, that summer's their down season. So through the summer, you've got all of the historical things to do. Of course, you've got the wonderful parks, you've got lakes, you've got lots of outdoor activities and biking and boat trips. Then in the cooler season, you've got all of the internal activities. So you've got things like the operas. There's three different opera houses in Berlin. There's two different orchestras. There's many of the old churches have excellent concerts. So if you're a music lover, then you really do want to come from September through to to May. And over the winter season, of course, December particularly, Germany in general is known for its Christmas markets. So the darkest season of the year is actually one of the most fun because you've got little lit up fairy light markets on each street corner with roasted nuts and, and mulled wine and things like that through the December period. And then even you have a little bit of a lull in January, but February, you've got the Berlinale. That's the largest film festival in the world outside of Cannes. So you've got the Glitterati descending on Berlin for the month of February. So there really is stuff going on all year round. 
A- absolutely. And, and frankly, in terms of traveling and, and trying to find things that may work it for different families, the ability to go to a, a city that is year round really counts for an awful lot. So I understand we have two different perspectives here. Pam, you really speak to the, maybe we'll call the West German perspective and Penn, you maybe reflect at times more of a, somebody who's resided in or prefers the East German ability to stay places there and, and some sites there. So a couple different aspects we'll explore from that dichotomy. First, taking this question a little bit out of order, but where would you have us stay reflecting your perspective? Pam, I know you've got one area where you recommend to stay and, and Pam, perhaps you have a, a, a different. Yes, I'm an old East Berliner at heart. I've, I've lived most of 20 years in various different districts of East Berlin. And I always like it, again, a bit to, like to New York City, whether you're a Queens fan or a Brooklyn fan or you're, you're diehard Manhattan person. Berlin's very similar in that way. So I always suggest Mitte. Like I said, this is the, the central district and the old historic district. On the edges of the historic district, you've got, it's an old East Berlin district, which has had a massive amount of time and effort and, and energy put into revitalizing it. So it's full of little cafes, little backstreet boutiques, really good hotels, but tend, they tend to be the more boutique hotels rather than the big chains that you'll get in the heart of the historic district. And that's without a doubt one of my favorite areas of Berlin, both to stay and to eat and to visit. It's that's without a doubt my favorite. Pamela, on the other hand, she lives over in the West. So she belongs to the Western crew. And it is also very lovely. But Pamela's the West Berlin expert. I'm the East Berlin expert. Yeah, actually, from my flat, from my kitchen, you can actually see the tower where Kennedy, the person Kennedy, gave, gave his speech. When he said, Ich bin ein Berliner, very West Berlin kind of person. And actually, I love all the area near Kudam. The Kudam is this big street with all the shops, theaters. You have some, you have the beautiful ruin in the middle of the street. You have a lot of history as well. But especially, you have a lot of very small hotels, also boutique hotels. Of course, you also have big hotel names, big chains there, but a lot of hotels. And the area of Savini Platz, it's an area with a lot of restaurants. So all kinds of fruit, food from all over the world. You also have, there's no Chinatown here, but there's almost one. There's one street there, uh, the Kanstrasse, very near to the Savini Platz, where you have all kinds of Chinese restaurants. So yeah, it's a great place. If you want to spend time shopping eat and eating, it's a great place to be. But then, of course, it's very easy to move all around Berlin. That's something that we were talking about it with Ben just today in the morning. And because Berlin is such a big city, doesn't matter where you stay, you're going to have to move around. You're going to have to either take the public transit, which is spectacular, it's really good, um, or a taxi, because it's such a big city that you need to move around. You cannot just stay in one area and there's not one center. There's so many centers that you were going to have to move in. And like I said, separating the East and the West is this massive cheer garden, this massive park in the middle of the city, which is quite literally bigger than Monaco. So unless you want to walk the whole length of Monaco, you do need to wrap your head around needing to do a bit of travel in Berlin. It is one of the largest cities in Europe. Yeah. Okay. Again, very inspiring. I can't wait to go to Berlin. Now, Again, food is near and dear to my heart. And you offered some very interesting recommendations for dinner. I think you previously noted that Berlin is very uh, cosmopolitan and as such, you can find a variety of cuisines. But I, I think you'd offered up some recommendations that you, would be a, a very Berlin experience for dining. 
you maybe want to walk through some of the highlights for, for places uh, that we included in our, our show notes? Sure. It's an interesting thing because I love food too. And Germany, in some ways, is not a country that's known for food. Food, they think Italy, they think France, they think Spain. And not a lot of, there's not a lot of awareness around German food, I find. And what people think of as German food does tend to be the Southern German. Yeah. From Bavaria, you've got your schnitzels and, and your big sausages and your pretzels and things like that. So that is present in Berlin, but it's not North German. North German food is there's a lot of sausages <laughs> in all sorts of shapes and sizes. There's an amazing thing called ice spine, which quite literally translates to an ice leg, but it's the foreleg of a pig. It's pork. And you can have it roasted, a roasted pork knuckle. But the Berlin thing is they boil it, which is, it's a bit of a, a acquired visual, shall we say. It tastes nice, but it's, it's a very different visual to the roasted pork knuckle. So those sorts of things are available. And there's a great restaurant in Mitter when I was thinking about the three generations, because I'm a mother myself, a really picky eater. So I'm well familiar with the uh, issues involved with that when you go traveling. So there's one that's called Schwarzwaldstube, which is a Southern German restaurant in Berlin. But that has a huge range of German specialties that are particularly kid-friendly. So they have something called Flammkuchen, which you can think about it like a German pizza. It's got a very thin base and can have various different toppings, but the traditional topping is bacon bits with onion and sour cream, which is really yummy. That's one of my boys' favorites. So to do a Käseschwätzl, and that's something where we also recommended an entire restaurant that just focuses on Schwätzl. Schwätzl is basically German macaroni. It's like little short twisted bits of a pastel substance and they, they do it with cheese and with onions. That's the, the Käseschwätzler, the, the Kaiser's noodles. They, should, they do schnitzel, they do Rinderrouladen, which are like flattened fillets of beef that are rolled up around bacon and mustard on the inside and then braised. And they've got, it's a very meat heavy cuisine. So that being said, so that's Schwarzwaldstuber. You'll get schnitzels and, and a whole range of easy to please kids German food. But there's a whole renaissance of new German cooking. If you're looking at the more sort of mid-range in terms of uh, price, are some really excellent new German restaurants that have emerged really in the last 10 years or so, where you'll get very interesting takes on the traditional German food. So Lokal is one of my favourites. That's where we go for, you know, a nice dinner out with me and my husband. They make their own bread. They make their own butter. They do everything from new takes on those German dishes that we've just talked about through this modern European cuisine. They do excellent vegetarian dishes if you want to break from the meat. So that's one of my personal favorites. And then you can go all the way out to literally two-star Michelin restaurants. So if you are a foodie and you're prepared to go the whole hog, so to speak, for the experience, Sky Kitchen is amazing. You have to book months in advance. It's on the top floor of a, a new hotel that used to be an old East Berlin apartment block. You get an extraordinary view out over the city at night. That'll set you back a pretty penny. But if you are a food lover, the Sky Kitchen is an absolutely incredible experience. Kim, I know you wanted to weigh in on the picky eaters and you share your appreciation for managing <laughs> for that picky eaters. So. We have lots of picky eaters in our, in our crew. <laughs> Too many. As somebody who's traveled the world, I, I always go that extra mile to find good spetzel and I, I just can't find it. It surprises me. It's, it's a very small restaurant. It's really tiny, the family restaurant. 
and it's delicious. I must say for me, the best ones are either if you go to Stuttgart and you eat like the real Spätzle or here in the Spätzle Reich. Those are my favorite ones in Germany. Imagine in Germany. Yeah. It's a real little hole in the wall, but you can get every type of Spätzle your brain can dream up. That sounds silly. I can't say enough good things about German hospitality. And especially if you're starting with three generations for the first time, finding a good enjoyable destination that, that allows you to operate at different speeds. Germany is certainly number one on my list of places I would commit. I would agree. And one of the things is it's relatively easy to get around with minimal Neu-German. There are some places in the world where it's very difficult to navigate without someone who speaks the local lingo, but in Germany, they do, everyone does English all the way through high school and it's tends to, it's quite easy to find people who can help you out where you can speak very minimal German and, and you can still navigate things really quite easily. Absolutely. So we have a question, any special attractions for our younger audience, probably aged around 10 to 22? Yes, there's actually loads. Berlin is a, is a really kid-friendly city. My son's 12 at the moment, so we're working our way through all of those. Depending on the kid, of course, and their ages and their interests, one of the best things I find you can do, well, especially with younger kids, so I would say 13 and down, is the Ritter Sports shop. So Ritter Sports is a gem chocolate factory, and they have a uh, showroom in Berlin where you can actually do chocolate workshops and the kids can make their own blocks of chocolate. So that's something that kids absolutely love. That's one thing. For older kids who are quite active, there's a really great place in Mitter called Mount Mitter, which is a aerial walking route where you get in harnesses and you click on and you can walk around this massive climbing thing structure that has old Trabant cars suspended and things like that. And down below there's beach volleyball that you can play. So if you're looking for a kind of outdoorsy, sporty afternoon on a nice summer's day, particularly with teenagers, because the younger kids are too short, there are height restrictions on the climbing gym. That's really great fun. You can very easily spend an afternoon there. And there's a whole bunch of museums that are geared toward kids. My kid loves the computer games museum. There is a museum for everything in Berlin and all of the super old Space Invader games and stuff like that, like it tracks the whole development of computer games. There's a spy museum, which is actually good for several generations because there's interesting information for the older crew, but for the younger crew, they've got things like this room that's sort of full of Mission Impossible type lasers and you have to try and navigate without setting off the alarm and things like that. There's lots of kid-friendly stuff in the spy museum as well. Playgrounds on every street corner. That is one thing that is really fantastic for kids in Berlin. So no matter where you're going, whether it's on an ordinary city tour, you can tell your guide you want to stop in for a half hour break at a playground to let the kids let off some steam. There's inner city playgrounds literally quite literally on every street corner for the older teenagers there's a huge amount of street art graffiti if they're into any way into sort of hip-hop culture or urban stuff that's really quite fascinating there's whole districts where you've got these massive murals you can even do a create your own graffiti kind of experience where you learn the spray painting and there's one little piece of the Berlin Wall up at Mauer Park that you're legally allowed to spray paint. So you can do those kinds of things. If you've got a whole week, then you can do a day trip to a place called Teufelsberg, which means Devil's Mountain. 
um, it's quite literally a bunch of the rubble that they transported out of Berlin at the end of the war and dumped in the middle of a forest out over in West Berlin and then put sort of dirt on the top. And because it's the highest point of West Berlin, it was then turned into a listening station by the Americans. So it was basically an old Cold War spy station listening into all of the radio waves of the Soviets, which is now in ruins and has become this magnet for graffiti artists. So it's now, it's this sort of old spy station in ruins, which you can wander through and just see the most incredible graffiti art in Berlin. So again, that's something that appeals to people on a lot of levels. One of the guides we work with is actually an old Cold War spy. He used to work for British intelligence. So he takes you through to and goes, oh yeah, I used to work there. And at the same time, you've got the teenagers checking out all of this incredible graffiti art. So that's, that's another really interesting kind of thing for a mixed level experience. That's just the tip of the iceberg, really. There's, I could go on for hours about what to do with kids in Berlin. It, it sounds like it would entertain a lot of different ages. Like I said, I'm a mum myself. I've done a lot of different kid-oriented things in Berlin and it, it really is astounding at how many things even the major museums even things like the the Boulder Museum which is one of the key museums for sculpture in Berlin they actually do kids tours the new museum which is the Egyptian collection they do kids tours if you want an English tour you have to book months in advance they do very few of them but there's a lot on offer for kids in Berlin so my favorite question and my girl's favorite question, we were going to go shopping in Berlin or in the area. What would we shop for? Bring a souvenir home with us. There is one thing that's really specific. Carmela and I were both talking about this yesterday. There's one thing that is unique to Berlin and you will only really understand once you've been to Berlin. It's called the Ampelmann, which quite literally means the traffic light man. One of the differences between East and West Berlin is they have different traffic lights. Now, I know that sounds really silly, but if you think they were two different cities for so long, when the Berlin Wall came down, it's not just a question of rejoining the roads or unifying a monetary system or unifying an education system. It's like when you rejoin those roads, what traffic light do you use? Do you use the one that's used in the West? Do you use the one that's used in the East? So the interim government started just without thinking using the West Berlin traffic light which got the East Berliners really annoyed because they were saying, and rightly, not everything about East Berlin was bad. And they were like, we like our traffic light. Our traffic light's just as good as your traffic light. So they forced them to stop and they did a whole bunch of tests that actually showed that the East Berlin traffic light was more effective. Kids responded to it better. He's a friendly little guy. He's got a hat. He's back. He has his arms out. And so they then went with the East Berlin traffic light for any new traffic lights that went in Berlin. And this kind of became a, a cultural victory, if you like, for the East Berliners, because in some ways, a lot of them felt like reunification was more like a Western takeover, that the West kind of swanned in and patted them on the head and said, there, there, we'll fix everything now. So, you know, the, the traffic light really became a symbol of being proud of East Berlin. So these days, there are several ample man shops scattered around the city where you can buy anything from bike light reflectors in the green and the red through to pasta shapes in the green and the red through to your own very own traffic light system with the ample band symbol so that's an interesting kind of thing that is unique to berlin once you understand the cultural significance of it it becomes much more than just a cute little traffic light guy so that's definitely one berlin thing so christmas decorations they're very german hand carved wooden decorations 
decorations. There are some people who they make it a point wherever they go in Germany, they buy one Christmas decoration that they take back to their home. Personally, I'm a big fan of culinary gifts, things like mustard, German mustard. There are all sorts of different types of German mustard. They take their mustard very seriously. It's really easy to buy half a dozen different types of mustards with different things in them and different flavors of them. That's a really nice kind of gift I find that doesn't just sit on the shelf gathering dust. That's one of my favorite things to recommend. Besides mustard, probably chocolate as well, because even though German chocolate is not so famous as Belgium chocolate, for example, we also have excellent chocolate and you can take the Brandenburg Gate made out of chocolate. So it's also a very nice present to take around if it's not summertime and it's very hot and traveling a lot through the south of Europe because then it would melt. But chocolate's also a great thing to buy here in Germany, here in Berlin. That's right. And the shop that specializes in those little sculptures of chocolate called Rausch chocolates, they used to be the royal chocolatiers and they only exist in Berlin. You cannot find their chocolate anywhere else, not even in Munich in Germany. Yeah. So then if you go to the Rausch chocolate shop, that's far less generic than the richer sports that the kiddies can do their workshops in. That's much more high end and they do the amazing chocolate sculptures in their shop. Yeah. And you also got to remember the symbol of Berlin, the bear. So you can also take a bear made out of chocolate. Fun. Two questions. First, help this audience understand how much more they, they get out of Berlin by working with you as a private tour guy compared to maybe somebody trying to see it for themselves. Of course, we're biased because that's the industry that we work in. But I genuinely believe that seeing Berlin and its surrounds with a guide is the best way to go. There's so many reasons why. One thing is, as Pamela mentioned earlier, Berlin is so large. So in some ways, we do many things as, as guides. We take a lot of information and can distill it down for you in a way that you can take in. And that's not too overwhelming. When, like we mentioned the day trip to Sachsenhausen, if you went there on your own, there are 14 different exhibits. If you spend half an hour in each one, that's seven hours, not including travel time not including anything else. What we can do is we can take all of that information and we can distill it down to you so that it's easier to absorb the main things to hit. You don't get lost in trying to figure things out along the way. So that's one thing. The other thing that we do, I feel, is we tailor things to each individual's needs and interests because there's so much there. You don't, there's so much underneath the skin layer. That if you talk to somebody who really knows what they're doing and they can go, oh, I realize that you've asked about this a couple of times now. Therefore, what I would recommend is you skip that over there. And what we do is we go straight over here to this thing that is clearly that's what you're more interested in. And the other thing in some ways, so we, ease of planning, because we know the city like the back of our hand, we can streamline all of that for you. Distilling a lot of information and giving you the best bits that you're most interested in over a period of time. Getting you under the skin of a city so that you don't just coast along the surface. And the other thing that I think is really important, no matter how many books you read, no matter how much you do your research and how interested you are in a place, you can't ask questions of a book or an audio guide. Yeah, like you can't have that extra depth that you can get when you don't have your nose buried in a book, basically. And that's my personal take on things. I'm sure my partner, Pamela, has other things to add. It's basically the same thing you've said, Pitt, but there's one more thing is 
both Penn and myself, we've been here many years and all the guys we work with, they, even if they're not locals, like absolutely born in Berlin, because there's very few people who have been born in Berlin still live in Berlin, but everyone that we work with have been living here for a very long time. So we've seen the changes. We've been here. It's part of our experience as well. And as Pin was saying, doesn't matter how many books you read, you won't be able to ask them questions and they won't be able to walk through that experience that you have this 20 years seeing the changes here in Berlin. And I think that's also really important. This with a private guide, whether it's Penn, it's myself, or one of the people who work with us, they're all very experienced in relation to the city, not only the history, but also the changes that have been going through here. And speaking of the changes, one of the things that we use a lot in our work is historical photographs. Because Berlin looks so different to the way it did even 30 years ago, we use a lot of photographs. So when you stand at the Brandenburg Gate, for example, all of the buildings around it are brand new. It's been completely restored. But I will stand there and show you photographs of what it looked like when Napoleon came through the gates back in the 1800s. I can show you photographs of what it looked like after World War II when it was in absolute ruins. I can show you photographs of what it looked like when it was stuck smack bang in the middle of the death strip behind the Berlin Wall with tanks in front of it. Then I could show you photos of what it looked like on the night that it came down. And then you can put all of those layers of history on top of the one image that you have through your own set of eyes. So that's another thing that's really useful when you have a private guide at your side to talk you through all those different layers of change, as Pamela says, right the way through to, to present day. When you want, you get great recommendations. You've got someone to occupy your kids for the afternoon and tell them corny jokes about the ample man on Berlin street corners. There's a lot of reasons to go with a guiding company, I think. Absolutely. And from our part, I think one of the most rewarding aspects is the opportunity to local. I mean, we've talked about that in some of the show notes, but the ability to interact with the tour guide, I think is just really so rewarding for us in terms of, as you pointed out, getting to know the feel for Berlin, getting a feel for East Berlin versus West Berlin and perspective on, on the change. So I, I just can't say enough good things about the opportunity to interact with a private tour guide to help you get to that level of appreciation for a destination. What is the best way for everyone to appreciate your destination at night? There's one particular event of the year. If you're a bit of a night owl, then... In September, sometimes October, the dates change, but this year it's in September, uh, is the Festival of Lights. So this is a yearly event for a couple of weeks every year where the main monuments of Berlin, not just lit at night, like they're always lit, but they're lit with incredible video installations from light designers from all over the world. So there's been, I've seen the Brandenburg Gate filling up with water, for example, yeah, from the bottom. Things like on vines growing over it. So there's some really extraordinary things that happen during the festival. If you want to get an overview of the city at night, I always love sunset from the Reichstag rooftop. So the government building, the Reichstag, has a rooftop terrace that you can access and you get a beautiful view out over Tiergarten to the west for sunset. And then you can turn and look in the opposite direction and see the TV tower lighting up at night all the way down the other end of Den Linden. That's a nice, particularly nice place for sunset I find and of course you can go up the top of the TV tower at night as well so that's where you'll see the entire city of Berlin really laid out underneath you that's a couple of options for nighttime viewing for sure and in your show notes you recommend either walking or public transportation you do not recommend a private car due to difficulty well a car with a driver is fine because they'll just pull over and 
let you out. So if, you, if you're doing a tour with a professional driver, that's no problem. But having your own car in Berlin, I wouldn't bother. <laughs> oh. I will often, I will arrange to meet a friend somewhere. They will drive. I'll take the subway and I'll be there quicker because they've spent 20 minutes looking for a park. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing is also here in Berlin, a lot of people travel with their bicycles. So if you come from a city where you're not used to that, it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. It's better to take the public transit or a taxi or walk before renting your own car inside of a city. Taxis are also cheap in Berlin. You can cross the city for under 20 euros. It's not an expensive endeavor getting a taxi. Great. So now we're to the do and do not of the episode. What are your three do's? And what are your three do nots, or what my mom likes to say is donuts, that you would do in Berlin? Aside from taking a tour. <laughs> That's step I mean, two. really is a must. I really can't emphasize it enough. At least one. Uh, once you've done one, you may well want to do several, but at least that one to get you started. It's so different for everyone. I think that's what's behind Pamela's sigh. <laughs> to stop at a three is really hard. I would say for history buffs, if people are into history, the Topography of Terror exhibition, that's the major exhibition of World War II and the Nazi period in Berlin. And then probably Hohenschönhausen, which is the major East Berlin Stasi prison through the Cold War. I'd say for history buffs, for the 20th century history, they're probably the best. For museum lovers, the big ones are the Pergamon and the New Museum. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the antiquities collection and they're some of the best antiquities you will find anywhere in the world, without a doubt. In terms of art lovers, are the Boris Samlong, the Boris collection is really astounding. That's a modern art collection. That is a private art collection where Christian Boris has actually bought and renovated the last existing World War II bunker in Berlin and turned it into his own private art gallery. So for art lovers, the Boris Gallery is an absolute must. And for me, and also just something if you're there on a weekend, a flea market, that you talk about meeting the locals or the best way to really experience Berlin like a local, flea markets. There's some fantastic ones at Hagener Platz, at the Maybacher Ufer in, in Kreuzberg. Definitely taking the market if you can be in Berlin on market day. Yeah. Okay. And if we talk about food, I would say if you want finger food or street food, you've got to try the currywurst, which you either love it or hate it. Nobody's just like, ah, it's okay. No, you're either going to love it or hate it. So this sausage with the French fries and tomato sauce and on top of the tomato sauce, all this curry and probably the doner kebab, which is a very Turkish thing. We got to think here in Berlin, we have a huge Turkish community. So I would say the number one street food is the doner kebab, which is quite interesting as well. Very tasty. Okay. And I think your list in your show notes, you included uh, one or two do nots. To just to things to be aware of. I have a lot of time about that. Yeah, definitely the, the taking pictures of people. Germans are very, they take a lot of care about their privacy and they do get very angry if you take a picture of them or of their kids. So I think it's very important never, ever to take a picture of people unless you take a picture of an area where there's a lot of people, but someone specifically or their kids never, ever do that. There are some interesting things that a lot of people haven't seen until they've come to Berlin. So for example, kids sitting in a basket on the front of a bicycle, being driven along, ridden along by their parents. But, and I've had people who will, who love to take photos of something like that because they haven't seen it before, but do be very 
is if you really want to, ask them for permission. Yeah. Um, because they can get quite gruff. It's if you take photos on that and permission. And the other thing that I, I put on the list was the word Nazi is a very delicate thing in Germany. When I grew up, people would refer to somebody as, oh, they're such a time Nazi or something like that. It's a real no-go in Germany. You can actually be reported to the police for calling somebody a Nazi. It's not a joke. It's not a term they throw around lightly. And the other really important thing, of course, also related to the Hitler period is doing the Nazi salute doing the Hitler salute. Some people kind of, they, they, it's what they know of Germany. They think it's a, some kind of joke and the Germans will take that very seriously. There was actually a tourist out the front of the Reichstag, the government building, who was doing it for a photo a couple of years back. He was arrested and fined 2,000 euros. It's, it's defined as an unconstitutional symbol. It goes against the, the constitution of Germany now and you can be, yeah, it, it can have serious consequences. So I'd be very careful making any kind of jokes about the Nazi period or imitating the Nazi period in any way, shape or form in Germany. It's just not a good idea. Okay. So really our last question first, special tremendous thank you to our guests, Pamela Jacquemin and Ben Hassman of Berlin Private Tours. Thank you for walking us through Berlin as a terrific destination. I encourage everyone to uh, check out your website to ex further explore uh, the tours that they offer. That's www.berlinprivatetours.com. And thank you again, Pam and Penn. The floor is yours to share your final thoughts on Berlin as a destination. I would say come and see it for yourself. Berlin is a surprising city. Like I said, if I'd had a, a euro for every time people had said they needed more time in the city or they really have to come back, it's a city that will surprise you. I think one of the major bits of feedback I get from clients over the last 15 years is they didn't know what to expect, but they didn't expect this. Exactly. That's really important. People we never expect what they're going to find here in Berlin. And on the other hand, I think that something that is really special for Berlin is that it's a city that is absolutely alive. As I said before, all these changes shows that it's a city that it's going to keep on changing. It's a city that if you're coming two years, it's going to be completely different and you can come again in five years and it's going to be again completely different. So it's a kind of destination where you're always going to find something new and it's always going to be interesting. Hey listeners, if you like our podcast and enjoying traveling with your family, then this is the right podcast for you. Please show your support by clicking subscribe in however you listen to this podcast, whether it be an Apple podcast, Spotify, or Amazon music. Please enjoy our newest episodes as we are producing a new episode every week. Thank you for walking us through Berlin as a terrific destination. 